Kids ought to be back in school. Routines established. I have pastor friends say I typically get people between Labor Day and Memorial Day. Because summers they spend a lot of time vacationing. And, but it's, it's that time. And we do this yearly. Why in the world would we do this? Every year we have a Sunday dedicated to this. And here you are. I wonder how many of you have experienced things like I do. Maybe, you're, maybe you find yourself on your drive to work, minding your own business. In fact, coffee was good in the morning. You're almost to work, but just kind of out of nowhere, this kind of wave of something washes over you. And you feel terribly lonely. Or maybe you're that individual that in a crowded plane, a crowded bus, a crowded room, suddenly there is just this sense that you're missing something. You don't have significant relationship. You don't have anybody that cares about you. You are alone. You feel terribly alone. See, many of us have what Dr. Leonard Zunin said going on in our lives. We have a sense that even though we've seen a lot of people and touched a lot of people, and even in this this morning, as you sit in the room with a lot of people, you feel lonely. And as he said, this is mankind's biggest problem, loneliness. I mean, can you imagine? 150 years ago, if you grew up in a village and there were 75 people, 100 people in the village, there might be some serious slim pickings on a mate. That's your, I mean, honestly, that may be, wow. But today we have eHarmony. If you can't find somebody near in this room or among your database of friends, then you go outside. And we have been so fortunate. I mean, the 20 years ago, dating service or 15 years ago, the idea of that, people just didn't kind of hardly talk about that. But today we've seen some incredible matches happen. We have. We've seen people, maybe even in this room, you met online. So you didn't live 150 years ago. You didn't live isolated. You now meet more people in a year than you would have in a lifetime. So you show up today, not quite knowing what you're going to hear, what it's going to experience. And now that you know that it's small group Sunday, the question that may beg on your mind is, Hey, Brian, how about you give us the bottom line right up front? I'm going to do that today. I'm going to give you the end right up front. I'm going to tell you what I want you to do and why it's important right up front. And I'm going to do it by telling you a story. In 2007, a man in California by the name of Steve Jobs stood on a platform in an auditorium not much larger than this one. And he was standing primarily in front of heavy stakeholders in his company as well as employees. Most of them in the room did not know what he was going to share. And basically what he said was this. He said... Today, Apple is going to put a dent in your universe. That was his quote. A dent 
in the universe. And he basically held this up and he said, if you can do this, I'm going to put a dent in the universe. Point a finger, press. Now, no matter what you think of Steve Jobs, 500 million phones later in less than 10 years, you can at least say savvy. 1.5 million apps for the iPhone, 1.6 for Androids. To say anything less that it was revolutionary in communication would be doing it a great disservice. So here's the bottom line. The bottom line is this. You want a dent in your universe? A real dent? A reality dent? Go get in a small group. Here's the, here's the bottom line. You need it. And I know that even this morning as I say that... <clears throat> For some of you, you don't quite buy it. That's why I say, I know right up front that this is the kind of message that could, it could feel like, oh, I'm being ridiculed for not being. None of the kind. Don't want that this morning. Don't want that tone. What I do want to say to you is this, is I want you to come and let's reason together. Let's consider the reasons why you, you, yeah, you, your name, you need to be in a small group and why this actual thing is the thing that will put a dent in your universe. It's a big rock here. You want to understand Grace Fellowship? At some point along the equation, because Pastor Brad and Pastor Brian and Pastor Peter and anybody else that you come in contact with, they're going to ask you, What small group are you in? What small group are you in? You go, enough already. What small group are you in? And then you'll see me coming and I see you dodging me. (laughs) You know how I know what that look is? Is I used to do it. I am your poster child of the small group reluctant. You need to be in a small group. And... For those of you who sit here and say, hey, Brian, wait, show me, show me. Show me the 11th commandment, thou shalt be in a small group. It's not there. So how do you preach a sermon to people who expect God's word to be broken open and unpacked together about small group if you don't have a text? Well, I'm going to show you. The text is this. It is a thread that runs dead through Scripture. It is a principle, a theme that you see throughout, but unless you carefully look, you may miss it. Because especially in America, where we laud independence and where our specialty is ease, comfort, pleasure, entertain me, And if you don't, let's find a way to do that. You have a hard time. So here's my my challenge and what we maintain here. How do you get good growth and change in your life that maybe you need? Well, we say change and growth happens best and most profoundly in an intimate environment. 
up close and personal. And if you're a person that doesn't like up close and personal, I totally understand that. When Amy and I came to Grace Fellowship, we came in a hardship situation, um, suffering, hurting, and we came on an invitation of a friend, and it didn't take us very long to hear this whole thing about small group. And I came from a background where Sunday school was primary, and not for any other reason than it was new and that it was strange. And it was way too hippy-dippy for me. I didn't want any part of it. It wasn't that I did not like the Bible. It was not that I did not like great teaching from the Bible. It was not that I did not like the facility. It was none of those things. It was unfamiliarity. And I was used to Sunday school, and is Sunday school a bad thing? Absolutely not until it is mind-numbingly boring. Is seminary, I loved Christ and I went to seminary. Was seminary a bad thing? Absolutely not. Did I grow? Yes. I did not grow and change in seminary like I did in small group. And I want to compellingly say to you, to consider and reason with me, I want to persuade you to go. I don't want you to be like me, who in your, my, my wife said, we ought to go, we ought to go. And I, oh. So I went, complaining the whole way. That's what I did. I didn't want any part of it. And you know what I found out? I found out that I needed a small group. So today, in just a short period of time, I want to tell you four reasons that I want you to take before the Lord. I want you to take, and if you're a Christian and you're not in a small group, I'm going to ask Jesus for the next six months to ask you when you show up in heaven, why didn't you get in a small group? So you better start rehearsing your answers right now. So I'm going to give you four reasons. And God's going to say, Brian gave you four reasons. First one is this. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. So we, we have people who are employed at Answers in Genesis. And the beginnings has been some marvelous insight uh, into theologically where we are our purpose, our meaning. And in chapter 2, there's incredible insight into why you need to be in a small group. In honor of God and the reading of God's Word, all that's going to be brief, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Let's stand. Genesis chapter 2. Now, to set the stage this, God... And his creation has placed things in place. And he has created man and set him on in his creation. And God has given this man named Adam incredible privilege and opportunity. Name the animals. So I'm, you know, a tiger's a tiger and a bird's a bird. 
And a porpoise is a porpoise, and a dolphin's a dolphin. I, you know, I have, I've had four children. I had a hard time naming those four kids. Unbelievable. Adam named. Before the fall, in verse 18, we have God looking at Adam in the garden, and this is what he says. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, from the ESV, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. You may be seated. John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s, and some of you are familiar with him. The language may be more difficult for us to understand. That's why I put some of these things in parentheses. Calvin says this statement, it is not good for man to be alone. He said he did not restrict this to this is about Eve and Adam. He basically said this is about man and his vocation. Where he is. You ought to receive it as you receive it to, your, to yourself. That solitude is not good. It's not good. Except for him by a special, special privilege. Does this mean, Brian, are you saying I should never be alone? I'm not saying that. Nothing of the kind. What this is saying, though, is that you were designed for more than flying solo. So today I want to give you four things. Four things that I believe God's word says in an overtone throughout. And the first one is this. It's not good for you to be alone. It's a biblical theme. And it's even pre-fall. Now, this didn't mean when God said it's not good for man to be alone. It didn't, he didn't say it's sinful for man to be alone. But something was missing in creation. That wasn't in place yet. Adam could be seen as pulling his best Leonardo DiCaprio on the Titanic. Where his arms extended and saying, I'm the king of the world. And all things were at his fingertips. But something was missing. It wasn't good. One of the things that we find in the counseling room and often encounter with people is that once the conflict happens and it happens with people, there's a tendency for us to pull back, to draw away. Some of us even may have the habit of believing that if I pull back, there'll be less conflict. And if I have less conflict, then that is good. And you know the reality that people hurt you and people disappoint you and relationships for you have turned out to be anything other than what you anticipated. <clears throat> but that doesn't remove the fact that there is a biblical principle that living apart from community is not a good thing. As a Westerner, we love to live as lone rangers. In America especially, we are specialists at this. In fact, you know, you may have heard me say what we do is we go into the, our garage in the morning. We hit the open button. We pull our car out of the garage, air conditioned, drive to our place of work, take our place in a cube, 
work as much as we can by ourselves, get back in our car, go home with all our stressors, feeling lonely sometimes the whole way, drive up to our driveway, hit the button, pull in, close the door behind. And if possible, except for when we have to walk the dog, we have as little contact as possible with messy people. That's what we do. And we're specialists at it. In fact, the goal that we pursue, and we pursue it well, is we love to insulate ourselves and we love to isolate ourselves. And we do it with our money, with our pursuit of entertainment, and with our leisure. It's what we do. Anybody in the room with a consumer, um, a customer service background? If you are, man, if you've ever worked in customer service, you know the joke. Joke goes something like this, customer service, the greatest job in the world, if I just didn't have to deal with people. All right. You know what that's like, because people are messy, people are demanding, people are afraid. The only problem is this, is that we don't see it in our own life. We, don't, we have a blindness to it in our own life. And so Jeremiah 17, 9 comes along and speaks to us and says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Who can understand what's going on in my life? Well, if you look a little further in Scripture, I will tell you, you don't go very far before you find is that God says, I'm going to send other people into your life. It's not good for you to be alone. Second, it's going to sound a whole lot like it, but the second reason why you need to be in a small group is because God's word says it's foolish to believe that you don't need people. And people are not just people that you are there to use. And some of us, frankly, there are times in our life that we're specialists at that. People are an end to the means of our goal. We use them. If you have your Bible, turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And, you know, that's past, you know, past Psalms, Proverbs. And then Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And in chapter 4, God's Word shows us a basis that we need other people. We need people. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can look at your own translation later if you don't have that. But I love how this was written or how it was translated. The Bible says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. I, I, of all verses in Scripture... There's none that's more desperate than that. Someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other one. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two people can stand back to back and conquer. Hey, you think that I got your back? Where did that come from? Right here's where it came from. Right here. That's where it came from. 
Two people standing back to back can conquer. Three are even better. There's your first small group. (laughs) For a triple braided cord cannot be easily broken. In verse 13, in some of your Bibles, because unless you're carrying uh, a Septuagint, unless you have a Hebrew Bible, even we put the numbers in the verses, but originally that wasn't there. So we separate off in verse 13, but I've pushed it right up because it is indicative of everything before. Listen to this. It is better to be poor, be a poor but wise youth, than old and foolish who refuse all advice. Prior to this, people together. The last verse, a guy flying solo. Don't fly solo. You need other people. We need other people speaking in our life. And when I say that this is a little different than being alone, this is, this is it. A careful reading of Scripture shows That when sin is in our life, it does some very specific things. This is what it does to you. Sin separates and it isolates from God and other people. And if you want to understand why God hates sin, that is one specific reason. Outside of his character, but because of what it does to you, his creation. It isolates you and separates you from him and from others. It's the horrible, stinking thing that it does to you. And we're just comfortable with it. But Scripture points us to prioritize relationship. To prioritize other people, giving to other people, versus being focused solely and wholly on you. And some of us, myself included, when I am down and out, when the waves of loneliness wash across me, when depression is hanging at the door, the biggest shortcut from where I am to where I need to be is directly with other people, to get with other people. Dr. Heath Lambert back in June, he quoted this. It warrants repeating. It was an interview with the president of the National Institute of Mental Health. Now, you'd think he knows his way around what's going on in people's hearts. So the physician basically was asked, how do you help people? How do you help people? His response, we cannot help people. We give people drugs and we minimize symptoms. People need meaning in their life and good relationships. That's what you need and that's what I need. Significant Christian relationships can be found in small group. It's where your life goes from the hello to knowing others. But we sometimes have an idea that this is church. This is church. Right now, you see one pair of eyes. Primarily, you see the backs of other people's heads. And you don't get to know people by talking to the back of their heads. You get to know people 
by moving toward them. It's a principle in the New Testament. You see it best in the life of Jesus. Jesus is a revolutionary, changing lives, turning the world upside down. He chooses 12. And in Mark chapter 6, he calls the 12 together. Small group, not 25, 12. Small group leaders. Now notice this. Jesus has trained them. He's equipped them. He's blessed them. He's told them about the kingdom. And he's about to send them out. Now, Americans would do this. Twelve different villages. Spread the business. See if you can get some roots. Get some traction. Jesus doesn't do that. He sends them out how? In pairs. Why pairs? Because we need one another. We need one another. We need one another. We see in chapter 10 of the book of Luke, and the Lord appointed 72 others, and he sent them on ahead of him. Uh, No, don't think this is a mistake. Two by two. Together, bearing one another's burdens, He knew they would be discouraged. He knew they'd be isolated. He knew they'd get ridiculed. He knew, he knew that there were even going to be demons that they couldn't handle. So he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out in pairs. We need other people. Sometimes I hear people say things like this. When I came to Christ... I lost all my friends. None of my friends were Christians. And so I hear that and that sounds difficult. It was difficult for me. I could identify it with it. But because Christ had made such a difference in the, these people's lives, this is what they, they say things like this. They'll say things, it's just me and Jesus. I just worship and I pray and I read my Bible and I go to church and it's just me and Jesus. Well, the problem with it is this. You don't have any Bible for that. That's not biblical. You and I have a, a culture who f- is so focused on individualism that we've lost touch that other people make good partners. They make good friends. And this just me and Jesus can quickly become this. It's important if it's just me and Jesus, I got to get the best preaching. I got to get the best teaching. And I will tell you, my first weeks here at Grace Fellowship many years ago, if not longer than weeks, I was amazed. I had, hearing Pastor Brad, and I heard others too, but hearing Pastor Brad, he could unpack the Word of God. Orthodox teaching, hallelujah. Great, great teaching. And then I was like you. There were Sundays that I would show up, and there's somebody else. And I'm like, oh, no. I know what that's like. You don't have to pretend. All right. 
I know what it's like to say, I don't like it when Brad doesn't preach. I don't like it when and I don't get a lot out of Brian. I don't get a lot out of him. I, and I don't sometimes. I really don't. But notice there's a pattern that says, I, I don't get, I'm not getting. It's just not what I like. I, I. And it's hard to not think about I, you. It's hard. But if you evaluate church by what you are getting out of it, you may be missing out, the, out on the most important thing that you'll get out of it when you turn your heart from getting to what? Investing. Investing. Putting in. This past couple of weeks, no matter what you've put in the stock market, poof. And some of you are nervous this morning. I want, I've got a solution for those of you who are nervous about this uh, stock market. Go get in a small group. That's right. Go get in a small group and you'll find other miserable human beings just like you. All right? Who don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but they're going to point you to who holds tomorrow. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 31 and 32 says, The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores, the instruct, ignores instruction despises himself. That means you don't like yourself if you ignore instruction. But he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. I've yet to meet someone who does not want to be smarter. We all need this in our life. But it's typically the thing that we're most closed off to. Because we're specialists at insulating and isolating ourselves. Here's a third reason. You were designed for more than living as a consumer. You were designed for more. In 1980, the average American viewed about 300 ad spaces daily. Today, it's more than 3,000 things screaming for your attention even when you don't know it. Even this morning, sitting in my office, my wife's got a brand new little laptop computer that her work gave her. I picked it up, I opened it up, and just in case I forgot... Right above the keys, it says the brand. Just in case I forgot. And then in the moment it takes me to close it, it reminded me again on the back. Just in case I didn't know what the brand is. And when it's open, the user can't see it. Who sees it? Now, I want you to know, knowing a little bit about manufacturing, that costs money to do that. It costs money. I used to have a, a clock that sat on the side of my uh, bed, uh, and I love this clock. And it, had, it was Sony. And what it would do, it would wake you up slowly. And one of the ways it did is Sony would light up. And it would, over a while, it'd like a laser beam right into your face, all right? It costs extra money to do those kind of things. It could have said, Good morning. Right? 
But no, Sony wanted it to say what? Sony. You and I are designed for more than living as a consumer. Just drive down the highway. Have you noticed how much larger emblems on cars are getting? I mean, honestly, I looked at one the other day. I could have thrown that thing across my shoulder. Why? Because when you're driving 90 miles an hour, you want to make sure when you're passing somebody, you see the car you don't want. All right. But we live that way. Don't get me wrong, I live as a consumer too. Just like you. I recently, Amy and I, took our children and we went to New York City. First trip ever to New York. I take one vacation a year. And if you've already missed it, my mistake is thinking that I was going on vacation. All right? New York was different than I anticipated. It was louder than I wanted it to be. It was way more expensive. I paid $15 for a hamburger. Paid $8 for a piece of cheesecake, and no joke, one bite was worth every dime of it. (laughs) That's to keep Peter from being angry at me later, all right? It was crowded. It was uncomfortable. Dow Bloomberg, is Dow here this morning? You ever go to the 9-11 Memorial? One of our own has a monument there to the American soldier, the first that were on site in Afghanistan. It's, it is emotional just looking at it. And one of our own did it. But time in New York quickly revealed, I still have real significant heart issues. I grew impatient, I grew edgy, and as dads don't often know, as you grow impatient and edgy, it, it impacts your family. I had the opportunity to repent, and I'm thankful for a wife and an adult daughter who's wise enough to encourage me and love me and help me see that there was more to experience here than me getting what I wanted. Some of you are old enough to know the song. You can't always get. You can't always get. You can't always get what you want. But if you try sometime, you get what you. All right. For those of you who don't know that. Get off the rap, go listen to that, all right? (laughs) And this is the reason why, you know, when Brad Spence holds those um, auditions, that I'm the shortest audition. I walk in, Brad just points at the door. (laughs) Can't sing, but sometimes you don't get what you want. And I didn't get what I wanted, but I got what I needed. I needed my heart exposed. And my heart is exposed, says this. I want what I want the way I want it. And some of you would like life the way you want it. You know, Solomon was the one guy in the Bible that could have had whatever he wanted. In 1 Kings chapter 3, if you are familiar with the story, Solomon as a youth... God shows up and says, hey, 
What do you want? Solomon goes, what do you mean? And says, God says, blank check, whatever you want. Whatever you want, name it. So in 1 Kings 3, I'll read it because I love how the word says it better than I can say it. Down in verse 5, almost verse 6, God says, ask what I shall give you. Solomon said, you've shown great steadfast love to your servant David and my father because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and upright of heart toward you. And you kept for him this great and steadfast love and you've given him a son to sit on his throne to this day. And now, O Lord, my God, you've made your servant king in place of David, my father. And although I am a little child, I do not know to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. And then verse 9, he does the ask. Solomon says, give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people. That I may discern between good and evil who is able to govern this great people of yours. Now, God gave him that. And even to this day, many scholars say Plato, Aristotle, Bart, Schweitzer, they're all lightweights compared to Solomon. And Proverbs is his book. And in chapter 18 is a great summary about what is it that we can clearly see that other people in our life is the right thing. Chapter 18, verse 1 and 2 basically says this, isolation becomes about you and it's just not sound judgment. Not sound judgment. Proverbs eighteen thirteen will teach you that listening can keep you from being foolish. Proverbs eighteen seventeen basically lays out that there is a perspective other than yours. Turn with me. Let's just look at that together. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13. So we're going to look at two quickly. Eighteen thirteen says this. If one gives an answer before he hears... It's his falling in shame. That means that you need to be listening a whole lot more than thinking about the next thing you're going to say. A lot of arguments could get minimized if you would just do that. Verse 17, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. So in small group, it goes like this. Some guy comes in and says, My work's miserable. My wife's miserable. My kids are miserable. Life's miserable. A brother comes alongside and says, are you miserable? You say work's miserable. Why is it miserable? What's going on? And then a careful brother may say, 
well, you said that you're showing your boss is upset because you're showing up late for work every day. Is that being a good steward of your witness? Ouch. You know what, though? I need it. Need it. I need it. The bottom line of the book of Proverbs is this. Other people are involved in life. What you see in chapter 18 is a good summary. Go read it later. Know this. No one is meant to fly solo. The reason why a person isolated is not good judgment is because that person needs somebody else speaking into their life. The only way to get cross-examined is how? With somebody else in your life. If you claim Christ, you're meant for so much more. So much more than pursuing the best preaching, pursuing the best teaching, pursuing ease, comfort, and pleasure. Wisdom calls all of us. Invest in other people. Invest. You need a small group. And I'm going to close with this. You need a small group because Jesus is both Savior and the model for a life well lived. You say, wow, what is that? What do you mean by that? Well, I know this. I am not so foolish as to believe that the thinking man or woman sitting in this room today could hear me say, you need other people, you need other people, you need other people. So you're not alone. You need other people speaking into your life. And there may be people sitting right here today and say, I got lots of people in my life. I mean, I look around the room. I know some people. I'm not going to name names. But you got lots of people. You got lots of contacts. You are the master networker. I mean, you are. You're fantastic at it. And sometimes you really know in the quietness of the night that your life is a mile wide and an inch deep. There's not significant Christian relationships. Did you know that Facebook, even for our young people sitting in the room, say Facebook's old, old school, old time, on, no longer relevant. Listen, it's far and away, far and away still, number one, social media. I don't use it. Far and away. I've got an account, but it's not my thing. Did you know the average user uses it 40 minutes a day? 40 minutes a day. That's average. We watch others. We check in on others. But somehow we lack real connection. Facebook is number one in ranking of all sites. Google is used to search. It's number one in hits. But time on site, Facebook. Something is out of balance, though. And the question is, if I can get it over here, why do I need it in small group? Because it's what Jesus modeled. Jesus is the consummate, self-complete man. Look, he got water, tired of water, what does he do? He makes wine. He can make Bread, he can multiply fish. He knows when to speak and not to speak. He's never in a rush, never panic, never in a hurry. All you got to do is go read uh, the story of Lazarus. His friend's dying. Jesus doesn't rush, never in a hurry. Consummate, self-complete man. 
But what does he do? He slips off and bees with the Father. And then what does he do? He moves toward other people. He moves toward people. He moves toward people. In the book of Acts, chapter 3, a young man by the name of Peter is walking along and there is a lame man. And that lame man is begging for money, begging for help. He's lame. He can't stand up. Can't walk. Jesus, through Peter, does this. Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I'm going to give to you. In the name of Jesus, rise and walk. You need small group because it will bring Jesus to bear in your life on the things that no amount of money, no amount of insulation, no amount of things will get you off your back. You need Jesus to rise and walk. Two big things happen in our life 12 years ago, and I've told you I'm the poster child for the small group reluctant. When we came to grace, we came suffering. We'd lost a son. Our fourth child, just after birth, we um, was, was anticipating that it was going to be difficult, but we believed that he would live. He lived about a day, and we sent him on. Nobody should go through that alone. And Amy and I primarily went through that alone. And we didn't have a support network. And we didn't have a small group. Fast forward a few years after we came to Grace. One afternoon at work in the midst of my, um, the stressors and carrying too much weight at the time. I collapsed in my office. And uh, I was rushed to the hospital. Uh, And while I was uh, in the emergency room, curtains around me, I was in pain. I'm not quite sure who I was at the moment. Curtain parted and stepped my small group leader. A few moments after that, small group leader's wife steps in. And it was not long before my wife arrived and the first people that she saw before she saw me was her small group leaders. And then somebody from my small group came. And in that moment, before I left that emergency room that day, I knew that I had my equation upside down. That what I thought about independence, and I didn't have time for small group, changed. All of us are busy, all of us have our things, all of us have our demands, but I want to encourage you, go meet somebody. Go make some contacts. So in the lobby, there are small group leaders. There are signs, different parts of the city, meeting all different nights of the week. You may have been in, you've been out, there's no shame in coming back. And I want to encourage you, nobody's going to put you on a guilt trip. If you show up at a small group and it doesn't, Fit what you need, 
what you're looking for. Nobody's going to put you. Nobody's going to be calling you. Where have you been? What's the matter with you? None of that. Small group leaders, none of that. We just want to care for you. And we want to care for one another. It's about bearing one another's burdens. That's what this is about. So I hope it was persuasive. I hope that you understand. And I hope that you understand at the heart is this. Even though there is not an 11th commandment, it is a clear principle. God's people need other people in their life.